Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inclusive Economics for Impact podcast, where we discuss the implications of unfair economic designs that continue to perpetuate extreme inequality and poverty. To unpack these conundrums, we invite some of the world's leading figures in the economic development space to share insights on how to address some of the pressing social and economic issues of this era. From practice and policy to research and scholarship, our guests are among the best in their fields. I'm Fred Olayale, your host. Today, we will examine an important issue, diversity, equity, and inclusion modeling in, for policy making. As you can imagine, there has been a profound shift in society in the last couple of years due to the convergence of the COVID-19 pandemic, the economic recession, the climate crisis, and various social justice movements. From complex infrastructure projects and social justice to public health and climate change, the increasingly complex nature of society means policy questions are becoming more difficult to address. Today, we will unpack the ramifications of DEI in the context of economic modeling for policy making. To help us make sense of these things, my guest on today's episode is a leader and expert in the field of economic modeling for public policy. He is an authority on analyzing public policies and their regional macroeconomic and population impact. His firm specializes in predicting the effects of policies before they happen. I have with me today, Dr. Fred Trace, CEO and Chief Economist, Regional Economic Models, a leading provider of dynamic economic and demographic modeling software and consulting. He has overseen the research and development of Remy's suite of regional policy models and has academic publications in leading journals. He holds an AB in economics from Princeton University and a PhD in regional science from the University of Pennsylvania. Welcome, Fred. Thank you very much, Fred. Okay, let's uh, unpack this. You know, the trade-off between efficiency and equity is arguably one of the most fundamental and controversial issues in economics. And in many ways, this underscores the limits of conventional neoclassical economic doctrines from inequality and poverty to unemployment and the climate crisis. Modern capitalism is often blamed for many of these challenges. And 
We know that the benefits of innovation and the knowledge economy made possible by the capitalist mode of production are all around us. This makes the debate a little complicated. So how do you see this based on your work analyzing public policies and their macroeconomic impact? It's a, it's a great question. I think this is right in the air that, uh, that your new mayor has stated very clearly that he's a capitalist. He wants to rebuild New York. And he knows that the large and small enterprises of New York is what makes, makes the city tick and, and provides people with a place to live, food on their, food on their table, and, and, and quality of life. Um, the president in his State of the Union address also said very clearly, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's a capitalist. Uh, but capitalism, we know, is like just a pure companies and companies are out there to maximize their profits. And they may have a little ESG division or something like that. But at the end of, at the, end of the day, they want to return value to their, to their, to their, to their shareholders. And we know there, there are limits to that because, uh, because there's, there's a society that we live in and, 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 a, and a broader society. And uh, that's where the uh, uh, will of the people and the political process and democracy comes, in, comes, in, comes into play. Uh, we really need a, a mixed system where we have that profit motive and it's not even, capitalism goes beyond just the profit motive of firms, it goes to the you know, profit motive of an individual who wants to take a job that pays a higher wage or wants to move to a different part of the country uh, where they, where they um, for, for personal choice and, 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 various, and various regions. But we have to consider like the stakeholders of the entire society. And, uh, and that's where uh, we have really what we would call like political economy we need to uh, we need to recognize the advantages of free enterprise and in, in, uh, in, in, in providing for people's needs, uh, but then also uh, to, uh, um, to listen to all the stakeholders of, of, of society and have all these institutions, private, for-profit institutions, not government institutions, nonprofit institutions, all work together to achieve broader societal outcomes. Uh, thank you so much. That's a very interesting uh, perspective. And you covered a number of interesting items in your intervention. You know, you talked about mixed systems, you know, the, the entire society and a multi-stakeholder approach. And also your response in many ways, you know, underscores the fact that economic growth and social inclusion should not be mutually exclusive. And, and we all know that reconciling both is not always easy, but I'm sure we will discuss this in detail. Let, let me move on to the second uh, question. Mm -hmm. And I want to bring history into this. Historically, you find that periods of economic and social crisis 
have had profound impact on the economics profession, particularly in the context of the limits of mainstream neoclassical economics. Given the social and economic justice dynamics of the last couple of years, I'm wondering how Remy is thinking about these things. How has your mandate evolved in the context of improving public policy through economic modeling? Well, I think that um, uh, the, uh, you know, traditionally when we're thinking about economic development and policymakers are thinking about economic development, they look at two things or maybe two or three things. How many jobs? Uh, what is what is the what is the output and maybe what is what is the income so just kind of these top line indicators does it grow the economy but we've seen a big you know interest and concern and you know you know rightly rightly so to make sure that policies are not just how, how do we how do we generate a lot of income a lot of gdp for the region but to make sure that the benefits of economic development are broad-based and that we're not just uh, states or cities aren't just bringing in economic development which is maybe you know geared towards highly pay highly paid high highly educated uh computer programmers who may bring a lot of income and, uh, uh to to the city but really to make sure that that um the benefits uh, widely uh, benefit individuals. And, uh, you know, you sort of started this off talking about economic modeling and we think of like, um, you know, what's the purpose of economic modeling? Well, it's really to go beyond sort of the rhetoric, the things that we're talking about, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how, how to look at the fundamental structures of the economy to have a more fair system and you know in the long term a more productive system because you want to bring talent into the system and everybody use their god-given talents to make a contribution uh, to the economy but we've seen a, a focus on uh looking at uh various stakeholder groups in the in the society to make sure that everybody benefits from policies so in the economic modeling context we have a, a module socioeconomic indicators. So when there's an economic development policy, like a new, a new um, headquarters opens up in a city or a new factory moves into an area, to be able to look at like not only how many jobs, but look how many jobs are in each income group, each income quintile, low income, middle income, higher income, to be sure that there's a benefit uh, not just to the highest income individuals, but to, to everybody. Uh, also to look at the gender dimension. Are, are, is there a balance of jobs for men and for women? And uh, the racial dimension, uh, racial and ethnic. So uh, white, black, uh, Hispanic, uh, other, other uh, uh, groups to, to see that, that the uh, economic development applies widely. Uh, Another area that of you know of concern is uh, are there are there new jobs for uh, all educational groups of educational attainment? 
So that's also a, um, an area that we're modeling in this uh, socioeconomic indicators module we have looks at what jobs are being created for those uh, with a high school education or, or less, those with an associate's degree and, 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 and so on and so forth. Because much of, the, much of the knowledge economy is really geared towards job creation in uh, uh, BA and, and above educational attainment, but that's not, that's not everybody. And we wanna, we wanna uh, when we're making public policy, really the purpose of public policy to benefit, it's to benefit the public. So we need, to, we need to be able to look at different groups and race, income, educational attainment, gender, to be able to evaluate and say, oh, is this policy really benefiting the public? Uh, thank you. You again covered a number of uh, interesting dimensions, you know, from broad-based development to demographic um, implications, you know. And I think the distributional nuances that you just provided, you know, those are very, very fundamental. I mean, there's just no way we can move the needle on this whole inclusive development conversation without going back to the basis, you know. And in light of your response, you know, I'd like to bring ESG and DEI directly into this conversation. You pretty much covered, you know, much of this, but in the aftermath of the social justice movements of uh, summer of 2020, public policy issues in the ESG domain moved to the front burner of the sustainability debate. And this triggered a major shift in the second component of ESG. And I'm talking about the social component here, particularly DEI. I know you talked about your model and how you are helping policymakers to make sense of these things. But perhaps you can especiate you know, on modeling DEI and other key ESG elements to help improve policymaking. It could be a little technical, but I, I want to hear your perspectives on how the model is set up to help achieve this objective. This is sort of the what if question. What if a new corporate have headquarters comes to New York? Then the, uh, uh, to run the model, the what if question is you say, we know the direct numbers. We know how many people are gonna be employed by the headquarters. We get this information from the company. And, uh, and then what is, is there construction expen ex uh, expenditure? Are there any financial in, you know, in incentives? Is there any investment by the firm in local infrastructure? So this is all sort of the, the direct information jobs like direct expenditure and expenditures by the by the company uh, but then you know as you were saying is is the economy is very complex and it's it's not just the economy the economy interacts with uh, um, energy and, 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 and climate issues the economy interacts with uh, is the kind of educational opportunities people have so uh, you know we're living in a very complex system here uh, and what the model 
what the model can say is, you know, the direct stuff that the firm's going to do, how many people it's going to hire. What the modeling can say is like, what about everything else? What about when the new employees go out into the city and spend their dollars on local restaurants, uh, live in live in the live in the neighborhoods, um, and uh, uh, there's there's all this ripple effect of economic of economic activity, and you know, and that's a big deal for New York right now because uh, there are office buildings in the city which are uh, um, you know half half empty because many of the professional workers, you know, they're working at home. The concerned is about Omicron and also. You know, they're comfortable working from home and can be productive. But what about what about the rest of the city? What about what about the uh, what about the restaurants and the and the entertainment venues and all of the businesses that really uh, depend on sort of an active uh, um, office office district? So that's kind of how how the how the modeling can uh, can get at this, and then uh, it's in the detail of the modeling then we can look and say, for different jobs in different occupational categories, what's the level of educational attainment? What, which uh, uh, which uh, uh, racial uh, groups are likely to fill these jobs? Um, and, uh, and, th and that's how we can get sort of broader into really this, this sort of quantitative analysis, which we feel is important to, you know, sort of move beyond the rhetoric and then with policy uh, making, it's kind of like get down to do to do the work and to figure out what's going to work, what isn't going to work, and that's where the modeling comes in is to crunch the numbers, as you know, and uh, and that and that and that can help inform the plot policy. So you're not just throwing dartboards at a um, you know darts at a dartboard and and policy selection. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, that's a little deep, but thank you. Let's pivot, you know, from history to theory. I really want to now talk about economic theory, both in the context of forecasting and comparing different policy options. Economic models are indispensable tools for policymakers. And if you think about the Lucas critique, in reference to the winner of the 1995 Nobel Prize for Economics, Robert Lucas, which is pretty much based on the micro foundations approach, which emphasizes that for effective economic policy making, it is important to explicitly model the behavior of human beings in structural macroeconomic models. So the question here is, given the advances in big data analytics, technology, and software solutions in the past decade or so, do you think economic theory is still indispensable when it comes to making sense of the increasingly complex nature of society, especially in the context of answering the what if questions on the effects of policy on the economy broadly? Well, uh, 
you know, I, I, I agree and with it. You know, there's an incredible amount of data, and there's and there's and there's data and there's data analytics, and people feel like we're swap. We have we have plenty of data. Why do we need? Why do we need? Why do we need theory? Uh, I kind of look at this, but then it's like you know, what is data and what is theory? So I I kind of think like, well, data is you go out into the into the orchard and you see an apple fall from the tree. You know, that's data. Theory is why is the apple falling? And that's the theory of gravity. So, uh, so, uh, so, uh, you know, the access to data, and certainly this is, you know, this is all what we're about is building models, using this data, uh, and informing what's going on. Data is just information, and and theory is really telling you why is something happening, and and what and what can you do. And you know, I'd say at, at the end of the day, any any uh, any uh, policy decision that's being made and being discussed in, in city hall or at the national level, or uh, you know, build back better or anything like that, there is some theory about like how is this going to work? Why is this policy going to be? Why is this policy going to be uh, be beneficial? So uh, so uh, um, uh, you know, let's just not call it theory, let's call it like, what's our approach, you know, to policy. Um, now, if we're talking about Lucas, so it's basically saying you need to go down and look at the fundamental behaviors of people. You can't just, because uh, um, if, you, if, you, if you say, you know, like even a monetary policy, oh, here's how people are gonna behave. Well, once people understand what the Fed's doing it, they're gonna try to game it. So you're, so you're, uh, so it's sort of a, it's sort of a moving question. It's sort of a moving question, and you know we're right on there in that in that uh, we built our especially sort of the new economic geography component of the model, which is looking at clusters and productivity of cities, uh, and uh, we're building on on you know, Paul Krugman was really the innovator and uh, major innovator in this area is to go and look and say, what makes international trade happen? Well, it's because people want a different, different uh, varieties of goods, of goods and services. And then if we're looking at, city, at a city is what makes New York a vibrant, productive city? And it's really this behavior of individuals and individual firms uh, that give such a huge, diversity of, uh, well, like the diamond district, you have many, many small firms having very specialized services that they, that they, that they offer, or the finance district where you have hundreds, thousands of firms, you have massive firms, you have, you have small firms that, that uh, each are, are, are providing uh, very specific um, services to the city which contribute to the overall productivity. So that's kind of really what's happening with these small businesses, big businesses, and in, 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 in individuals. Um, it's not some grand macroeconomic theory, but really going down and looking at what's happening on the ground level uh, that makes New York so vibrant and productive. Thank you, thank you. I mean, this again, uh, underscores the 
initial discussion about neoclassical economics and the fact that as you think about it, it still remains the workhorse you know, of, po of policy analysis and the public policy development process. You know, unlike most systems, the economy is in a state of flux. So I couldn't um, agree more. Uh, let me take you now to other issues around uh, projects and programs and uh, policies. You find that from complex infrastructure projects and social justice to climate change and public health, the increasingly non-linear and complex nature of society means that policy questions are becoming more difficult to address. I know Remy has a suit of models, you know, from PI plus and tax PI to E3 plus and SEI. I know you guys from time to time use these frameworks and uh, software to help answer questions. And I know I've used a number of these, you know, but the question here is, can you provide some insights and examples on how some of these policy challenges are being addressed by your suite of models? And I'm not asking you to go into the nitty gritty now of the modeling, but broad based big picture perspectives on how these uh, suite of models, you know, how they are helping to make sense of our highly dynamic uh, world. Well, I think it's really, uh, you know, sort of, sort of, sort of connecting, you know, the economic, the economic theory, the economic modeling, and the research. Actually, questions that are like facing decision makers, and uh, uh, so, uh, so the uh, the DC council, council, and, and uh, the the district council, and the and the the, the district in Washington is uh, it's sort of local state government all wrapped into into, into one. And uh, they were looking at a paid family leave policy. And the council, there were some people who were all for it, whatever the economic consequences, there were some all against it uh, because they perceived it would raise regulations on businesses. And then there are a few council members sort of in the middle, in the middle, who are there saying, it sounds like a good policy, but we need to know what the economic consequences are. And uh, so the, the, the research division uh, supporting the DC Council sort of ran the, ran the numbers. There were, there were several different, different scenarios. Uh, in some cases, it's a, uh, uh, um, the uh, you know there'd be a, you know some job losses to the district because it raises business costs, uh, but then you know there are off offsetting factors because some of those business costs would 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 create would create employment. People would see this as a benefit, so that 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 would be uh, a plus for being able to retain workers. So uh, um, you know on on net it was maybe slightly negative, perhaps under certain circumstances, slightly positive, but not a massive uh, economic disruption to the DC economy. Uh, plus, uh, plus the district is a growing economy. So maybe you, you reduce the number of new jobs by like 
you know, instead of, you know, by, by a couple. So in any case, the net result of this is it's going to have some economic effect, but it's going to be fairly limited. And that was enough to really tip the balance on the DC council to move forward and adopt the paid family leave. And, uh, you know, other, other cases, they got their analysis sort of helped get an expansion of the earned income tax through the DC council. Um, around uh, in the New York area, we've, we've worked on access to region core and the, uh, the gate, gateway project connect Manhattan and, uh, and, and, and New Jersey. And the economics of that are, are very strong. Uh, uh, there, you know, there needs to be more done on the on the policy and implementation side. Uh, but uh, the uh, we have we have many cases where the where the economic it's not just an abstract academic exercise with economic modeling and analysis. It's abstract until it becomes a decision point for this decision maker and the legislatures and the and the mayor and the and the decision makers to implement a policy and uh, that's that's what we really you know that's what we really love is to see that connection between the analysis and making good policy decisions indeed uh, very well uh, summarized i mean forecasting is a very difficult inexact science, as I like to put it, you know. Nonetheless, you know, policymakers need information on future economic trends before making policy choices. And this again explains these ramifications. Let me follow up on that, you know, on another interesting perspective. You also find that across the world, policy failures have contributed to unfair economic designs that continue to disproportionately affect historically marginalized populations. And everywhere, policymakers appear to be taking serious efforts, you know, and they are thinking seriously about renewal, you know, in the economy and society. And I'm saying this again everywhere. This is across the world not only in the US, but even in other parts of the world. Quickly, what's, what are your thoughts on this trend? Is that what you see? Or is there a different uh, pattern in terms of a renewal process for economic modeling, for policymaking, and rethinking the whole uh, spectrum, you know, in the context of the economy and society? Uh, it's like uh, the modeling can, uh, uh, I mean, clearly there are these structural issues and we need to, and we need to sort of look at the, at the structures and the, I think the diversity, equity, and inclusion, we need to sort of move beyond the human resources department to look at sort of like broadly, how is the economy set up? What is uh, what is the, uh, um, uh, you know, what is the process for matching, you know, matching people and jobs? What is what educational opportunities to be able to educate uh, everyone in society? 
uh, uh, to be able to take advantage of econ economic opportunities. So one, one example is like transportation uh, uh, infrastructure, uh, we might think is, you know, fairly benign, right? It's just, it's just, it's just uh, roads and bridges and subways and, 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 and airports. But when we think, uh, we did a study with this, with KPMG, we did a study uh, around Washington, DC, where we're saying, you know, we have, uh, we have uh, uh, black and Hispanic neighborhoods, labor force, in downtown DC. And then we have, and then there are a lot of office jobs uh, in the suburbs, which are in predominantly white neighborhoods, single family homes, uh, very expensive uh, cost of living. And uh, sort of an indirect effect of, of transportation is those office buildings are not going to be able to hire a diverse workforce if you don't have affordable transport and convenient transportation options between the labor force in downtown DC and the, uh, and the, and the suburban office locations. So we see that the modeling and in, in, in being able to like understand sort of the whole complexity of transportation infrastructure and education, all uh, environmental, circumstance by being able to uh, show the linkages between those, we can, we can begin to develop better structures uh, that uh, a transportation system that actually connects a diverse workforce to where the, to where the, uh, to where the jobs are, 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 are available. So we, we feel that we, this quantification, this modeling, it's, you know, it's complex, it's tough, it's work, uh, but we feel that there can be a great uh, um, policy and, and societal benefit from it. Uh, excellent, excellent, you know, and I'll add a little bit to that because at the end of the day, uh, while economic modeling has its place, I mean, we all know that it is not a must for all policy decisions, you know, uh to be based off of modeling per se given that big picture predictions you know followed by dynamic adjustments as more information you know becomes available may suffice but i do agree that the use of forecasting models you know confers the benefits of presenting systematic and scientific arguments which then can help decision makers to examine all of the ramifications before uh, moving ahead with uh, uh, policy choices. This has been a very enlightening and interesting um, uh, perspective. And as I bring this to a close, you know, I would like to really know if you have any closing remarks and thoughts, you know, because as we have said at the beginning, from rising inequality and poverty to labor market polarization and wage stagnation, you find that more than a decade after the Great Recession, some of the scars left over are still present till today. And, and even while uh, the COVID-19 pandemic 
is an exogenous shock. It, it has caused major disruptions in our economic systems. And again, with disproportionate impact on, on vulnerable populations, you know. So as we wrap this up, what are your concluding remarks, closing thoughts on how to move the needle, how to build a more resilient and a more sustainable and equitable economic system that you know, tears down many of the structural barriers that provides opportunities for economic and social mobility for people at the lower end of the socioeconomic ladder. Well, I think I think that uh, you know that, that that COVID has been you know extraordinarily damaging to these uh, to these goals and everything that and everything that re resulted from that. Uh, you know the you know the assets, the house prices, and the stock market and everything is has has boomed and leaving out you know those who don't have assets, right? So that inequality has increased, and then work from home and remote has has helped. Many people get by, but like not not many people have that option to be able uh, to work. Education has uh, has um, has has been severely disrupted. So I think that you know we really have to like look at sort of okay, we need to you know uh, the economy isn't progressing as we'd like it to. Education has actually fallen behind. From the remote learning, so uh, so it's very important that we we think okay, there's a lot a lot that needs to be done, even to catch up from that disruption, and then in, in moving and moving forward, and um, and uh, you know we we really uh, uh, think that that this this modeling you know it's 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 technical it's difficult, but I think it can also be communicated. That's in in real terms that people can understand of how to address these issues strengthen the educational system bring the uh, uh bring the uh bring the city city back um to its uh to its potential uh and you know what makes uh new york great is is in fact this uh this diversity of the of the of the city so i think it's uh new mayor new administration uh coming out uh coming out of covid and so I think there's uh, um, incredible potential uh, to be able to move forward in in a very in a very positive direction. And this the series has been a terrific um, exercise in in building that uh, consensus and building that uh, basis for moving forward in the economy. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, uh, Fred, for taking the time to share useful insight from your work on analyzing public policies and their macroeconomic and population impacts. And I look forward to speaking to you again on the various ways Remy is helping, you know, to predict the effects of uh, public policies before they happen. And many thanks to our audience for listening to this episode of the Inclusive Economics for Impact podcast. As discussed, both in the context of forecasting and comparing different policy options, economic models are indispensable tools for policymakers. While forecasting remains 
a difficult, inexact science. Policymakers need information on future economic trends before making policy choices. So thanks again to Dr. Fred Trace, you know, Chief Economist and CEO with Remy for joining us today. Thanks to the production team for making this episode a reality. I'm Fred Olaile, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, Fred. You.